What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to the NerdWide Podcast, episode 64. My name's Tyler Haynes, and I am here with my good friend and favorite co-host, Mr. Chris Rivers. Now, Chris, we have got an exciting week. Uh, both of our TV shows, all right, were, were pretty big for, for us. Obviously, Moon Knight having a new premiere, a new mm-hmm. show, new character and everything. But something happened to Superman and Lois that we have been wanting to talk about and hoping it's been happening for two seasons now so i want to get into that but first i want to find out how was your week and how are you uh week was pretty good i had one night where um because i'm outside a lot at work Mm -hmm. it poured rain one night oh awesome so yeah yeah that wasn't fun but no overtime so i got to enjoy a lot of things Uh, what about yourself yeah yeah how was your week it it was a pretty decent week. Uh, allergies have been been messing with mm. me a little bit. Like I'm getting a like my nose is always real scratchy and my eyes get real watery for randomly no reason. And it's just like oh, it's a high pollen day. And I try to stay inside as much as I can on those days. But with a new puppy, it's really hard to do that. You got to take him out all the time. So uh, yeah. that's been that. Work's been fine, but it's it's been a really exciting TV week with our shows and yeah. especially the movie so but yeah i just can't wait let, i want to get into it all right let's do housekeeping real quick everyone don't forget to subscribe to either our youtube or podcasting service of your choice if you enjoy the show make sure you leave us a thumbs up on youtube or give us a good rating for podcasting apps whichever one you used if you don't enjoy what you see or hear make sure you leave us a comment let us know how we can improve the show as always if you can go the extra mile you can always go to patreon.com slash nerdwide three different tiers there for three different monetary prices if you wanted to do that for us, that would be great. If not, no big deal. Uh, all right, Chris. You've been watching anything else other than these two shows this week? From a TV perspective, no. I really didn't watch anything TV-wise. We have been... So we're big Circle fans of reality stuff, show stuff. We have put off, for some reason, the Circle Season 3. Uh, the past two weeks, we actually started and watched it. We should be finishing it this week, Season 3. We've got one more episode left, but... I think as far as TV, that's all we've been watching. We watched Ghost because they had an episode this week. They do the same thing that CW shows do where they take you know a month and a half off, and we've got no idea why. And then they come back with one episode. So this one makes me so mad. The last episode was four weeks ago, and then we had this one this week. And then and the next episode comes out in two weeks, and I'm just like, okay. You know, I don't even know why I'm getting invested in this show, to be honest with you. So. Sounds like a good binge show. Yeah, it's, it's going to have to be, I feel like, at this point. Yeah. If you're just going to sit there and not give us episodes. so. But yeah. anyways, you know who is giving us episodes for, for this week? It's Superman and Lois, <laughs> Season 2, Episode 9, titled 30 Days and 30 Nights. We go to nerdsandbeyond.com by Haley for this one, of course, like we have them. Super Haley. Boy's first save. Jordan has been training with Sam while Clark is stuck on the other side. We actually see, I don't know why this start this way, but we see Clark go to the portal. He does this weird little spin move thing. I don't know what mm-hmm. that was about. We couldn't figure it out here in the Haynes household. Of Momentum. Why. Yeah, we don't know why he spun and then he flew he in. He was trying to, uh-huh. Was he trying to get speed? Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. I like that yeah. a lot better. We were like, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, is he trying to get a tornado? Is he trying to do like a flash thing? Oh, I've got a lot to talk. Oh, I got so much to talk about this with this episode. Yeah, because he was trying to get up his uh, his momentum so he could throw himself basically through there and not that makes get all more ripped sense. apart. Okay, because we see we see uh, Allie go in with the suit that Bizarro Superman came through with, 
and she went through just fine, we're assuming. And so we come to find out it's been a full month that he has disappeared and the world's been moving on. They did it really well, I thought, where they were doing newscasts of like what we see everyone's lives between the boys and uh, Lois and we see them living their lives but in the background there's newscasts going on of where is Superman it's been a month since Superman's last been spotted and so that kind of gives us a little timetable and I really enjoyed how they did that but this is what annoys me where's Supergirl yeah <laughs> I mean this is in the CW verse or Arrowverse or whatever you want to call it but it's the problem we've always had. Where are they? And yeah. this episode would have been the perfect thing to bridge in. You know, we haven't seen Superman, but Supergirl has stepped up. I mean, or anybody, or anybody. And I, you know, I understand they're trying to keep it separate, but you can't do that when you keep bringing in characters from those shows. Right. So, but what do I know? It. 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 Yeah. They. They keep dropping the ball on that. Yeah. And. I'm gonna write them a strongly worded letter. Yeah, let them know that yeah. you get, we gotta figure this out, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it it just makes sense. Yeah. So, who knows? But we see Superboy's first save. Um, Jordan has been training with Sam while Clark is stuck on the other side. While helping elect Lana from Mayor Smallville, his hearing alerts him into an out-of-control fire. He quickly gets up to leave and heads to the scene. Once there, he helps one firefighter get to safety before Steele shows up and tells him to leave. Once Lois finds out that Jordan's been up to, she storms into the house angry to say the least, but with Superman gone and no sign of him coming back, Jordan feels he has to step up. Lois says he still needs to follow her rules, but as long as Jordan has powers, he feels he can make it his own. So... A lot to take in here, but that last uh, sentence there really kind of cracked me up when, it, when she said it. She said, you know, you have to listen to my rules while you're in this house. And he said, not when I have superpowers. I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's <got> right. <laughs> um, but and, and we should say, too, it wasn't just any firefighter mm-hmm. that he saved. It was Kyle. Yeah. It was Sarah's dad. It so, was. And which, I really still makes, like what they're doing with him. Yeah, which makes what happens later sting even more. Mm-hmm. It is. It's such a good start to this episode with them doing the whole campaign, uh, the ending of the campaign. I really hated that um, Jonathan had the issue in the school gym where the parents said it was my son's senior year and they ruined him. And I saw, like, because I kept showing the coach in the background. I said, is this coach not going to take up for his kid? But then the coach attacked Jonathan, too. And I said, okay, well, yeah. I guess that's one route we're going to go with this. But, I mean, it's I, – I get both sides of it when he's not even the one in the wrong. They just had to blame mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. Um, so the fire scene was really cool. I like the little fire tornado thing. We found out it was because of a super with a XK going through their veins. But I really thought – this was fun. His first little save, I guess, him stepping up. Mm-hmm. A little small little episode like I was hoping we would get. And we yeah. get it for the most part. And with him, he comes home really excited to Jonathan. He says, dude, I, I saved um, Mr. Cushing. And he said, and I flew. And Jonathan gets really excited for him. He goes, what, you flew? And he was like, yeah, it wasn't very far. He said, but I did. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. I, like, I love this brotherly moment. But then they do – what they've been setting up is the jealousy and like the, the conversation kind of flips at a switch and Jonathan gets pissed off at him. And it's just like, well, you know, that's 
normal brother stuff in it happens, especially mm-hmm. with this family. Let's see. Candace's confession. Lois demands Jonathan tell her who is the ex-Kryptonite dealer behind all the chaos of Smallville. After promising to keep their identity anonymous, John brings the perpetrator in. Identified to them as Candace, she apologizes to Lois for getting John in trouble. She tells him everything she knows about where it comes from. Finally, this happened. And I loved uh, Vitsy's acting in this episode, particularly at this point, where you can, when Candace walks into the room, she goes into full mom mode. And she said, mm-hmm. hello, Candace. I was like, oh, I got chills yeah. because that was a yeah. death stare from hell. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, that was the, however this works out, I don't want you around my son right. anymore. Yeah. And that's exactly what's going to happen, I feel like. Um, let's see. XK Operation. Sam, Lois, and Jordan find the location that Candace was talking about where the XK is being dealt when, while they're ordered, Jordan is staying in the car. The lanes get a visual of the entire operation. As Lois attempts to call it in, they're stopped at their tracks by a um, just a random bad guy. And I want to see if they talk about it at all. Who's also on XK. Yeah, which is also on XK. Started having the glowing red eyes and everything. It's awesome. So this scene, I really, really enjoyed. Um, this article doesn't really talk about it that much. But we get to the point they're both in chairs they're about to get shot and killed like there was classic gangster um bad guy mm. mentality they which i really like they didn't really talk to these people they said okay we're gonna have to kill them and so the dude just walks up with a gun and they sit there and talk to jordan and he hears them he bursts into the room and before the one guy could take a shot and kill his grandfather he stops him and then a guy with the xk comes in his eyes light up and he shoots his heat vision and then Jordan sees it, and I was like, oh, my God, someone's about to get hurt here. I really thought when they started slowing this scene down, I was like, okay, the grandfather's about to throw himself in front and get killed. But no, 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 no. Jordan's powers become, I guess, his more matured, and time slows down. And we see it so well done. We follow the heat ray vision, and we see Jordan, and he kind of sidesteps it and looks at it real cool and then stops the guy. And that was pretty much the end of the scene. And I was like, yeah. okay, that was awesome. They took a, yeah. uh, a bit out of uh, the flash with the slow speed and everything. And I love uh-huh. it. I love the, when, when we first see Lois and, uh, and Sam tied up and he's sitting there and he's trying to get loose and she's, she gives him this education on the knots. Right. I can't remember what kind of knot she says it is, but she's like, that's such and such type of knot. The more you struggle, the tighter it's going to get. Right. It'd be different if it was this kind of knot. And he's like, how many times have you been tied up? <laughs> you probably don't want to know. Right. <laughs> Which is it's, it's honest and true, and I loved it. And it's just so great because that's what their characters would do. And mm-hmm. it's, I really love that. Um, we get the new mayor of Smallville. After a long day of surveying and putting their boots to the ground, their votes get tallied. Lana wins the mayoral race by a wide margin. In her first speech as mayor, she thanks everyone for their help, and she couldn't have done it without them. Moving on to the waffles and memories. On the anniversary of her mom's death, Natalie tries to perfect her waffle recipe. <laughs> oh, excuse me, to have breakfast with her dad. Frustrated it's not working, John tells her not to worry, and they'll be late to help the canvas for Lana. Natalie is upset John doesn't realize the significance of the day, but once he does, he makes it up to her. At dinner, he makes the special waffles, and they watch old family videos, including Natalie's birth. And I was completely on board with Natalie this whole episode, and I got it. You know what I mean? But I also got John's point of view as well. Yeah. And then they had that nice little touching family moment on the couch where 
they were eating the waffles and talking about it all and it's just so well done and i love how we've got all yeah. these different family this is honestly the show is about families not so much about superman and lois it's a a family show where it's following right. different there are three families i guess and i just really like how all the dynamics are doing it and with superheroes on the mm-hmm. shine if you will yeah and and like you said his his view of it first off he's coming off the brain injury where he he still thought her mom was alive and then he's so he's kind of having to relive the fact that she's dead and you don't want to sit there and just wallow in it all the time you know he wants to he's not going to forget right her mom but he doesn't want to live in constant pain emotional right. pain either so he wants to learn to live with it yeah it's but it's like she it's like she was wanting him to yeah. yeah she was wanting him to just be all about it all the time well it's, it's a very teenager way like, of thinking with it you yeah. know and yeah. like i've said before they just they do each of these dynamics they the writers have it down so well that they know mm-hmm. what they're doing and it's just very evident in season two uh, and then the fallout, and this is what we were hinting at the beginning of this episode. After a talk with her dad, Sarah decides to put herself first and know her worth. Unfortunately, that means breaking up with Jordan. Jordan takes it so hard as Lois consoles him on the porch. Suddenly, John, in quotation, appears, but it's not their world's Jonathan. Lois asks where Superman is, and he tells him he was too late. And as a visual of Superman flashes at the end, he looks terrified. Um, the significance of this our Jonathan on our world is walking Candace home, which is forever. I felt like because you know they started at the you know, the first half of the episode, and the last half mm-hmm. they're still walking through the city town. So I don't know what, where they live, but it's obviously very far away from the Kent household. Anyways, our Jonathan hears a screeching sound, but it was almost like the power, like the the super hearing that we hear, because there's always a little mm-hmm. audible tone we hear with Superman and Jordan, and I was like, oh my god, he's getting his powers. And then we flip over to the Kent household and we see this greased looking uh, Jonathan from Bizarro World, which, and he knows how to talk normal, which I thought was was different as well. Because at first he talks backwards, like they normally right. do, and then he switched it. So I don't know what uh-huh. that's about, because the, the only reason we knew about the Bizarro Superman speech was from the, the Fortress of Solitude. So right. I don't know if that has any significance, but I truly do think we are getting Jonathan and starting to get his powers now, but I could see they do it that way or they could do it with, um, oh, we talked about before the episode with him, uh, with both of the, both super men on that worth on earth, getting visions and things like that. So I don't know how they're going to handle this, but I truly do think it's them. Jonathan getting his powers with this. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's going to be interesting because he's walking Candace home when it happens. Mm-hmm. And then she says, go on home. I'll be fine. It's just two blocks. We never see her for the rest of it. Cause it's right, right at the end of the episode, but you know, something has happened. Mm-hmm. Cause anytime somebody in that situation goes, ah, it's only a couple of blocks. Yeah. Somebody's Classic TV trope. <laughs> yeah. So something's going to happen that he has to, try and save her i'm guessing the bizarro version of himself maybe gets involved right something but 
you wonder, did they kill her off? Oh, I, I think Lois would be happy about that. <laughs> and I wonder when it comes out. It Well, it may not ever come out, but what Sarah's reaction is going to be when she finds out the reason that she didn't get put first is because mm-hmm. Jordan was saving her father's life. Which is, which is such a big uh, plot point this whole episode. What, yeah. like, and we see him in the hospital, and he's obviously not doing well. And they even say, you know, this is your fault. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, you know, the reason you're in this situation is 100% your fault, which is true. But like, he's in the hospital saying, hey, you know, I understand you were doing your thing. He goes, I told them not to call you guys. And they all come in the hospital. And then we see Sarah go to his apartment because he's worried about him. And she brought, brings some food for him. And it's a very, very rundown apartment. And he doesn't have anything up on the walls. He says, because if, it, if I don't have anything up, it's not permanent. And then, like, we see he, him bleeding from the back of his shirt from his wounds. And I was like, yeah, I like this. Yeah, so, so wait, because as someone who's an RN, mm-hmm. is the hospital going to let him go? If he still has open wounds that he's bleeding out of. So they gave him bandages because that's what was in the, the bag that she brought over. Cause yeah, she but asked. wouldn't they bandage him? Yeah, and I think that was – I think they did. Even that where he left against medical advice and just kind of yeah. got up and left, said, hey, I'm fine, I'm leaving. Which – but, yeah, <laughs> when they show him from the back and he's got bleeding wounds, I'm like, ah, I don't think he would have been gone that soon. I mean, it, right. Things don't work that fast anyways, especially right. – but that's what I think, like, either he – as as a nurse, that's what I'm thinking is he left to get some medical advice and said, okay, I'm not staying here for the night. Because typically you would stay there at least under observation for the night, especially if you got wounds uh-huh. like that in your firefighter, smoke inhalation, things like that. But I also didn't see where he got cuts and stuff that severe on his back anyways throughout the episode. Because, right. I mean, Jordan saved him, protected him, unless it was his body that broke the impact of the, um, of the wall. Probably so. But it – because rookie mistake by jordan yeah rookie mistake but you know he's learning he couldn't even stop the fire (laughs) Uh, but i thought that was really cool and then she's you know he she was like you know i don't feel like he's putting me first and she said there's always something and i just don't feel like i'm being put first and he says but what every dad should say he goes uh if there is someone that's not giving you 100 percent of their time you don't need to be with them but i can't wait and i don't know if it's going to be this season or I'm sure it'll be next season with season three being confirmed and everything that that's when we'll get a reveal. But Alana still doesn't know about uh, Clark and I'm still baffled by, by the way. So I don't know if they're going to do that whole family of, they don't know. I want Kyle to find out about the Kents before anybody else does though, because the way that he would react to it all, I feel like would be a much, much better plot point. Because, you know, she could be crying about Jordan, and he could be like, he's like, you know what, I get it. And he says, a complete 180 to what he's doing on this episode. He's Give like, you know, something. Yeah. And I would love to see that. And I kind of like that trope. So, yeah. But Lana would be pissed off because that's another secret, though, that could divide them more. Things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this would be fun. So, but that was yeah. this week's episode. And for some reason, we've got to wait another three weeks. Until we get another Can they just stream this? Right. Be done with it. So, I enjoyed it. It's we got a lot of plot um, devices. We finally got the Candace where um, 
we finally got the uh, results of the election. So she is now mm-hmm. mayor, and I'm really excited to see where that what that happens there. So, oh, okay, Chris, what we're all here for? Moon Knight, episode one, the goldfish problem. Now I got the spoilers tag up for all of this. We're going deep into full spoilers here, and I'm going to a website called thereviewgeek.com for the recap. Uh, and then we'll talk about all the Easter eggs that were in this because apparently there were a lot. So mm-hmm. I'm not very familiar with Moon Knight. I know that from people that have read the comics, uh, he is a schizophrenic with like a multiple personality disorder. And that's kind of what kind of the things I know that his suit is all white because Moon Knight wants him, wants his enemies to see him coming. It's a very um, opposite of yeah. like Batman. Yeah. Anti Batman. Yeah. Yeah, that's why like they call him the mercenary in this episode. But uh, I don't know what your what's your background with Moon Knight. Do you know anything about him going into this or anything like that? Uh, probably not much more than you. Yeah. Um, he was always there. I mean, I read some comics with him in it. You know, especially when I was younger, some of the stuff that where he would cross over with another character or something, but. Not a ton. He was just never. He was never pushed. I guess right. is, is one way of putting it. Uh, at that time, and so I just I was paying more attention to the the bigger names. Yeah. A lot of whom we've already had movies and and properties like that. Of. So this was going into this. I was very excited. I've heard it's creepy. I heard it's brutal. And for sure, for both of them. So I'm going to go through the recap and I'll stop and stop me if you want to talk about anything as well. Episode one of Moon Knight begins with a strange shadowy man shattering a glass inside of a cloth. Those shards of glass are emptied into his shoes, which he proceeds to put on and walk across the room. This scene eventually... Do what? He said no. No. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Not me. No, 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 no. I don't like pain. (laughs) This scene eventually paves way for us being introduced to our protagonist, Stephen. A former U.S. Marine, Stephen lives alone and chains himself to the bed every night, complete with sand around his bed on the floor. His only uh, company comes from one fended goldfish called Gus, and he works at the British History Museum. He wants to be no. a tour guide, but his constant tardiness and erratic demeanor is giving, doing him no favors. He's an outsider, but he knows a lot about Egypt, which will be important later, but is largely overlooked in this role. Now, wait a minute. They said he's a U.S. Marine? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until multiple reviews and recaps that I saw noted this, but I'm thinking to myself, I didn't, I didn't catch on to that. I didn't either. So I wonder if that's – I guess that's maybe his – Steven, I wonder, is this personality? I wonder if that's what happened. I don't Mark, know. I'm sure we'll find out more. Mark Is Mark the U.S. Yeah. Marine? So that could be it, too. So I don't know. Because it's. I'm very curious how they're going to do this show. Like, do each episode we focus on one personality? Or right. do we do well, it how we're doing it? Which I really enjoyed how they did this. Where yeah. we just followed Steven. And then we would uh-huh. have these seamless transitions. To where like he lost time and like he's got blood or a gun in his hand and I loved it. I was like, oh my god, this is it's really tripping with my brain, but I really like how they shot this. Yeah, the the thing that confused me about the U.S. Marine part is Stephen speaks with a British accent. Mm-hmm. From everything we know of him, he's always lived in England. Right. Right. Calls his mom every day. 
Uh-huh. Keeps, voice box. keeps having to leave her a voicemail, mm-hmm. so something's up with that. I wonder if it's a handler that he thinks is his mother. Right. That's, I don't know. Or Steven thinks he's actually calling his mom, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's, this is going to be a fun... Like, I, I know a lot of this... It's only six episodes, but a lot of this I know is going to be messing with our minds a whole lot, just as much as this episode did. Uh, yeah. something is going on with Steven and that much is especially apparent when he suddenly awakens in the middle of a big field, a strange voice asks him to let Mark take control as soon as, as he is soon shot by strange men by a castle, which was really weird by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people say, or are theorizing that this is Latvia is where he's at. Where is Dr. Doom's city? So I did, I did think I liked the way that they dosed it with humor throughout the episode mm-hmm. too. And including here, he he looks up, sees the castle. There's someone looking out of one of the windows, right? And they just exchange waves, right? It and was, then they start shooting yeah. at him. It's they, <laughs> God, I love Marvel. The, the way they shot this, and it was the tones of the episode, the way that he talked to certain people. I, I really enjoyed this. Um, and nearby yeah, the town, stat, do what? The, the statue, the statue that he's, that he's it's his friend that he's. He goes, hey, he goes, don't forget to leave the tip. I was like, yeah. You're a good friend. Uh, <laughs> in the nearby town, the long-haired uh, man with glass in his shoes walks past. This is Arthur, their sort of spiritual leader, and he greets his villagers, telling the gathering crowd that he intends to make his pl- this place as much like heaven as it can, and then murders a woman. Let's just call it what it is. He, he murdered a woman. Yeah, but how? So he, I don't know. And I'm very, I don't know if he, so Moon Knight is possessed by a, quote-unquote god, quote-unquote demon, quote-unquote whatever you want to call it. And that's the essential basis of his character. So I wonder if uh, Arthur is kind of the same way, where he's possessed by the, the – I forgot, I forgot the Egyptian one that we're talking about in this episode. I'm sure we'll get to he, it in a minute. He takes the woman's hands in his, mm-hmm. and the scale it's tattoo awesome. on his forearm determines that she is not – a good person right it's not it judges your life. life or and it judges and your future like sins and stuff too what it almost seemed like is he kept holding on to her and drained the life force out of it's her. what it looked like because she gets all modeled and grayed real quick like and mm-hmm. like shrunken a little bit but then like it just shows uh steven and you just hear her thump and fall to the ground and like nobody yeah. reacts or anything just kind of drag her off i was like Okay, so this is a daily occurrence with this guy. <laughs> this town is weird, and if I was one of the ones that went through it, no thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Arthur lays his eyes on Stephen and demands he hands over the strange Egyptian scarab in his possession. Surrounded by guards, there's another blackout, a moment for Mark Spector to take control. Next thing you know, a car chase ensues as Stephen takes a cupcake van and charges down the road from a whole bunch of black vans in pursuit. I want to talk about the first blackout we have here. He wakes up. And there's, he's got blood on his hands. And, like, the camera does a, a cool camera angle where it comes in front of him and shows behind him. you got three guys bleeding out behind him, clearly dead, blood everywhere. And I was, this is was our first, I guess, big transition besides the one him waking up in the field. But this was our right. big first transition that something different is going on here. And I was, it was very brutal. And I was like, yes, I am here for this. Yeah, and, you know, they these other guys that remain, they get st- – you know, told after him, and I'm thinking, no, yeah, I, no. 
<laughs> Not after whatever they just witnessed. Right. I'm, I'm good. This dude, this is clearly crazy. He's like, hi. And he goes, I'm trying to give it to you. He tries to give him the scarab, and he does this. And he try and dances around with it. And he goes, I'm, I promise I'm trying to give it to you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay, buddy. This is very Spider-Man-ish. You know, I'm really trying to give it to you. Oh, you got to be a little bit faster than that if you want it. But it's really good. The car chase was really cool. The cupcake vein. He has a little blackout where he wakes up with a gun. The whole back of the cupcake van's blown wide open. There's a dude that got a bullet hole in his head in the back. We see cars falling off the, the ridge and exploding. And I was like, okay, this is getting nuts, but this is fun. And then he, he comes had, to it. He comes to from another one, and he's driving backwards. Right. And he's like, okay, we'll drive it backwards now. It's just his commentary is very fun. And it's it's the exact same thing. Like I'd be ter- I'd be horrified, uh, and I'd be shaking. I wouldn't know what to do. But I think my favorite part of this whole scene was the glass is blown out of the front of the van for the winch wipers mm-hmm. going. Just sitting there, just sitting there going. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a good touch. That was very well done. <laughs> um, he blacks out again. He wakes up in his bed. So we're all thinking, okay, just a dream. Obviously, the viewers know it's not just a dream, but to Stephen, it's a dream. Uh, there's a really slick scene that cuts back and forth between Stephen blacking out these soldiers being dispatched, eventually leading to Stephen waking back up in his apartment two days later. Gus now has. But he two, doesn't. No, he doesn't know. But he doesn't know. It's, and we don't either. Uh uh-uh. uh And so it's oh, speaking of this, the whole two day thing, Disney Plus tweeted out this morning. They said Happy Friday. Um, hope you enjoy the weekend. And had the then put a hashtag Moon Night. I was like, okay, that was that was cool. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gus now has two fins for some reason, and his date with Dylan has gone completely awry, given it has been two days ago. He goes to the restaurant, and he's he calls her. He said, hey, you know, um, I'm here. Well, just classic, you know, we're going to be here. And she said, piss off, and all this other stuff. And he's like, well, I, I don't understand. She goes, that Friday was two days ago. And he said, uh, it's Friday now. It's the day after Thursday. It's Friday. And she's like, no, it's two days past. And that's when we get our first little inkling of all this really happened. Mm-hmm. And he still orders the steak. And he's very visibly confused. He said, well, yeah, just the best part. The best part of the steak. Yeah, he's he's a vegetarian. Yeah. And he's he's so confused. He's like, it just... I'll I'll take the steak. Yeah, it's and that's he he doesn't know what the be, what the best part is. Right. What cut to order? It's so it was just so fun that they that they did it this way. Um, Stephen notices scratches on the living room floor when he gets back to his apartment, leading to a hidden area with holding a phone inside. Uh, numerous missed calls from someone called Layla and one from Duchamp, which uh, seems to hint that he's living a double life. The Duchamp one I'm very curious about, and I mean obviously mm-hmm. Layla as well. Layla has been nonstop calling this guy. And as soon yeah. as he turns on the phone, Layla does call. Um, a strange echoing voice bleeds through as Mark, Stephen's alter ego of sorts, begins to speak. He warns Stephen to stop looking, but it's no good. Stephen is now seeing Egyptian gods everywhere, and his blackouts are getting worse. Not only that, Arthur is on the hunt for him, too. Um, well, and, and when Layla calls, she calls him Mark. Mm-hmm. He said, who's Mark? <laughs> she's like, why are you talking like that? Right. Where have you been? <laughs> Uh, she's like, yeah, it's been months since I last talked to you. Where have you been? And so there's a key that came with the phone. We don't know where the key goes to yet either. I'm sure it's going to play on later on in life. Um, mm. 
Arthur knows about Stephen's plight, seemingly knowing all about the voices inside of his head. As he looks deep into Stephen's eyes and places that familiar hammer down between his forearms, Arthur comments, there's chaos in you. Only part of this episode I didn't like. It was very, I felt like that was very cheesy when they did that. But the next little bit of the scene is is really well done. Well, we got to backtrack first. So after he takes that phone call, he's starting to have these little blackouts. He goes to the elevator's apartment complex, and it's very scary. And I was like, yeah. okay, we're we're borderline horror show at this point. And I, you know, I'm okay with it, but I'm not really. Like he starts seeing this e- Egyptian god figure with the jackal head and everything at the end of the apartment, and like it starts running, and it's an old lady, and she gets in, and he's down on the floor. He's all oh, just nice day we're having. And he goes, I dropped my contact lens. And she said, you can tell she's scared and creeped out. She's like, this dude's crazy. Um, and he gets yeah. out. He gets on the bus. He sees the little Egyptian figure uh, as he's driving, as he's riding along. Oh, it's definitely creepy. It, it, like this whole episode was trippy. Is the best way yeah. I could describe it because it made my mind just do mental gymnastics for a lot of it. Yeah. Um. So they get to the the museum. We have the whole scene with Arthur and everything, and I'm like, where's the rest of these people in this this museum doing while all this is going? This dude's running through things, looking completely crazy, but then we find out, Chris, they're all a part of the cult. That's how we solve this. That's why nobody really cares, yeah. because they all know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arthur waits until after hours where a strange jackal comes to life and begins chasing Steven, snarling and growling. Again, very horror very scary. Uh, Arthur wants the scary, but as Steven locks himself in the bathroom, it seems there is no way out. Again, this is probably this is probably one of the coolest scenes of this episode was we have all these mirrors in the bathroom, which is very creepy anyways. Way too many mirrors yeah. in a public restroom of a museum. Uh, <laughs> through his reflection, though, Mark urges Steven to let him take control, and with a jackal banging against the metal, Steven does just that as he turns into Moon Knight. In doing so, we get our first glance of Moon Knight complete with glowing white eyes and his white robe. Um, this scene was very well done. And anytime we see Mark, it's or a reflection of Mark, we see Steven moving around. And that's a classic horror thing of like ghosts and stuff like that. The, the reflection doesn't move. And it just right. stays in that one scene. And I was like, okay. At first, I didn't think he was going to let him take over. But then he does. And like he closes his eyes. He opens it back up. And you clearly tell it's a different person. And then the suit starts to come and transform and take over. And we see the, the, the come back into the – the camera comes back into the bathroom. Everything's destroyed. The jackal's dead. And we just see Moon Knight walk to the camera. And I was like, yeah, that's badass. I am all in. So mm-hmm. this is going to be one of those shows. I'm going to hate that it's so short. But yeah. every episode is going to be a banger, and I can't wait for it. The episode was something like 47 minutes or something like that mm-hmm. long. And it gets to that last scene. We get the Moon Knight reveal. And I'm thinking, all right, here we go. Yeah, and, it's about to really course, kick off. <laughs> yeah, and of course, the credits start. And yeah. I'm just thinking, damn it. They know what they're doing. <laughs> I wanted more in the episode. Yeah. Um, and like you said, only five episodes left. They've really got to quit doing this. Yeah. I mean, I just make it at least at least ten. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm with you there. At least make it ten episodes. But yeah. we're to the point now. We've already talked about it in a previous episode. Each each we're going to the point now when this ends, we'll have multiverse of madness, and then after that, we should have a little bit of a break. The Miss Marvel happens. Like we shouldn't have that very much breaks, but until the next show. But we do have some 
uh, Easter eggs we're going to talk about from BuzzFeed, and this is by Nora Dominic. Uh, first, Moon Knight kicks off with Bob Dylan's song "Every Grain of Sand." This is one of mm-hmm. Bob. D- this is one of Dylan's most spiritual songs from 1981, and it came out after he became a born again Christian. These lyrics allude to faith and spirituality, so it makes perfect sense that it would play when we first meet Arthur, who is very faithful. Also in the comics, Mark Spector dies in the desert and is resurrected by the moon god Khonshu. More on him later. So Bob Dylan's faithful lyrics also relate to Mark's Marvel Comics journey and how he became Moon Knight, a.k.a. devout servant of Khonshu. Uh, when we first meet Gus, Stevens one fin wonder goldfish, you can see that Egyptian that Stevens decorated the tank with a bunch of Egyptian artifacts. You can spot a pyramid, a boat, and more. A lot of these artifacts relate to the afterlife, which uh, connects to Mark Spector and how he died before being resurrected by Khonshu. Oh, Chris, what if we're getting, so again, being you don't really know much about Moon Knight, what if Mark is that U.S. veteran or U.S. Marine, mm-hmm. dies in the desert, gets resurrected, and as part of it, they, they resurrect him and this kind of splits his personality, and we're born with Steven, and that's how it kind of, I don't know, it's kind of crazy, let's see what, I, I don't sounds know. Sounds good to me. Yeah, that sounds, I thought, you know, pat myself on the back, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> There are a lot of details that allude to Mark Spector's death in literally the first five minutes of the show. When Steven is talking to a young girl at the museum and mentions how Egyptians believed in being judged in the underworld, the girl asks Steven if it bothered him that he didn't pass the underworld's test. At this point, Steven also has no idea he's living alongside Mark. Uh, quote, the little girl says, And did it suck for you, getting rejected from the, real, the field of reeds? He says, Well, that don't make sense because I'm not dead, am I? Chris. They're talking That's, about this stuff, and we didn't even realize it happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just thought that was very no. a play on words, just being funny. Huh. No. So, apparently, the little girl... So, who was the little girl? Was she really just a little girl? Right. Or is she just able to perceive things? Oh, see? Is she someone we get a future... She's a superhero in the future somehow? Or is she, like, an agent of one of these Egyptian gods? <sighs> yeah. I don't know. She She knows too much. I don't trust her. Stephen's boss at the museum is likely named after the comic book character Donna Kraft. First appearing in Mark Spector Moon Knight issue number 39 from 1992, Donna was Mark's publicist at Spector Corp, where she is a, which is a company that was formed by Stephen Grant to fund his Moon Knight operations. That's pretty cool. Yeah. When Stephen leaves the museum after work, you can spot a rack of postcards that look similar to the postcards Stephen says he got from his mom. My theory is that Mark is actually sending these cards to Stephen and just saying they're from his mom. Smart. That's okay. Yeah. Steven's best friend appears to be a guy who's a human statue. While he doesn't talk back to Steven, he seemingly resembles Bertrand Crawley from the Moon Knight comics. In the comics, Crawley is a homeless man who lives on the streets of New York City and often acts as an informant for Mark Spector. Maybe. Maybe there's just an allusion to it. Also, Steven's best friend forever being a statue is a subtle nod to Moon Knight comics, where Mark Spector communicates with Khonshu through a statue. Also, Mark originally dies and then awakens at the foot of his statue. That's, that's a little bit of a reach. Uh, Moon Knight uses beautiful cinematography to depict and allude to Mark and Steven's dissociative identity disorder. Uh, a lot of mirror imagery is used to showcase Mark's two personalities. Like when Steven first walks up to the museum and when he walks away from the human statue, the mirror imagery shows that there are two sides to Mark's life. It's hmm. pretty cool. When Steven wakes up and is super confused about where he is and what is happening, he officially meets Arthur Harrow. In the comics, Arthur is a doctor who was up for a Nobel Peace Prize for his work with pain theory, but it turned out Arthur was actually involved with horrible experiments at Auschwitz, and he attempted to continue them. He made his first appearance in Moon Knight's issue number two in 1985. 
Okay, it's a little dark, but I get it. I wonder if they'll go that route with it. Yeah. Versus his background. Or if they'll do something with uh, Hydra, maybe. Kind of connect yeah. the universe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Arthur's comic book history connects back to the opening scene of Moon Knight. In the comics, Dr. Harrow Har- works with pain theory, so it makes sense that in the show, Arthur walks the glass in his shoes and tries not to feel the pain. Yep. Yep. As Stephen is observing Arthur's ritual, Arthur mentions the Egyptian goddess Amit, that's who it was, who he is serving. Amit was also called the devourer of the dead, eater of hearts, and great of death, and was linked to the scales of justice and afterlife belief, hence Arthur's tattoo. If a person's heart was found not to be pure, they were said to be devoured by Amit, essentially dying a second time. We'll kind of see that in this mm-hmm. episode. Knowing about Ahmet, now Stephen now makes Stephen's fact about Egyptian afterlife and embalming more relevant because he talks about how Egyptians took every major organ out of the body except for the heart. He talked to the little girl about that at the beginning. Right. Um, when Stephen is getting ready for his date, you can see he goes from looking into a single mirror to three mirrors, which I'm assuming is a great nod to Stephen, Mark, and Conchu, all inhabiting Mark's consciousness. Uh, I'll probably be yelling all about how brief the cinematography is in Moon Knight all season, so just be a fair warning from this person. That's that makes sense. We see the single mirror, and then he does go to the three mirrors. So that's pretty right. cool. Uh, when Steven is going through Mark's phone, you can see a ton of missed calls from Layla, and one from Duchamp. In the comics, John Paul Duchamp is a French soldier who, be- who befriends Mark, and the two become inseparable. Duchamp is also on the mission uh, in Egypt that ultimately got Mark killed. When Steven flees, flees his apartment, and another time where mirrors are used to symbolize Steven, Mark, or Conchu cohabitating, we can see three images of Steven before the camera zooms in, and we only see two. While Mark serves Conchu, he and Steven are obviously much closer. Oh, eh, a little bit of a stretch. I get it. Our first glimpse of Conchu is honestly is so perfect, and he looks exactly like he does in the Moon Knight comics. Conchu is the Egyptian god of the moon, and in the comics, he resurrects Mark after he dies. Then Mark becomes his avatar on Earth as Moon Knight protects the people of the night. He made his first Marvel appearance in Moon Knight's issue number one in 1980. Uh, Let's see. Okay, I swear this is the last cool mirror reference. I'll point out in this episode when Steve enters the museum here, you can see that his reflection in glass is likely a nod. I don't see it. Let's see. I'm going to scroll through. Some of these are not really there. Uh, we had a nice little Avatar Easter egg in uh, Avatar um, The Last Airbender. This was really funny. When Arthur tells yeah. Stephen that Amit was betrayed by her own avatars, Stephen cracks a joke about James Cameron's Avatar for 2009. Avatar and Avengers Endgame kept trading back and forth uh, which with the biggest global box office of all time. I don't think that's what it had anything to do with. But I thought it was pretty funny. He said, mm-hmm. what, like the, what, like the blue people? I was like, yeah, that's good. And finally, when Stephen comes face-to-face with Mark, you can see hieroglyphs on the walls in the bathroom. If you look closely, the one over Stephen's shoulder resembles Conchu. So, and that was all that for BuzzFeed. I'm sure there are more obscure ones in there, like with time, like uh, license plates and things like that. But that was that one. Chris, what did yeah. you think about the first episode? I loved it. I just wish that, um, well, you know, like we talk about with a lot of these shows, I wish that we got a few more episodes and... I also wouldn't complain if they pushed it to an even hour right. per episode. I mean, another 13 minutes would have been great. Yeah, because, you know, the, the uh, end credits scenes are, uh, you know, good seven, eight minutes full of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, the same way. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm really excited where we're seeing where we're going with this. Um, with the split personalities and 
we, we finally see him put the suit on. I'm very curious to see how they're going to go from here. And I'm really enjoying this because I really don't know anything. Like with the Eternals and Shang-Chi, I don't really know this character. And I think that's what excites me the most because I don't really have any knowledge about this guy. So right. everything's just up for grabs at this point. Mm-hmm. So only news I got for you this week for everybody. HBO has revealed that House of Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel, will premiere on August 21st. Only big notable thing. Uh, I'm excited about it, actually. The closer it gets. Game of Thrones was such a phenomenon in time. The ending season will go down as possibly one of the worst things in TV. Uh, but this one I'm really excited about. Matt Smith is one of the main characters, and I feel like he's going to do good by it. And then releases this week, I got absolutely nothing for TV. Nothing fun. So Nothing? Nothing. On to movies then, huh? Yes, sir. Did you watch any uh, anything else? Uh, no, no new movies for me this week. Uh, no, I didn't even see a touch of anything either. What about you? Did you watch anything new? Yeah. What you got? What you got, Chris? Uh, well, one was a rewatch. I watched When It Was a Game, which is HBO back in the day did a series of these. There's three in the series. Um, really interesting uh they got their hands on a bunch of old footage eight and 16 millimeter film footage that players and fans took Mm. back in the day from about 19 i want to say it was around from 1932 to 1957 in major league baseball oh so it's on the field stuff it's you know during warm-ups and practice and and stuff like that and then they over the top they'll have um, people telling anecdotes about the time or even in in a couple of cases reciting um, poetry that's baseball related. Over that's the pretty footage. cool. It's, it's really interesting to see and it's most of it's in color which is different for that era. Right. So that was a fun watch. Um, this other one though <laughs> I finished up the Leprechaun movies yeah. with Leprechaun Origins. This was painful. Um, they said it wasn't related to Lepre- to the first six. It wasn't part of the Leprechaun franchise. But they called it Leprechaun Origins. Right. How are you going to name it the same <laughs> thing? <laughs> and they used one of the key lines from the very first film in this film. And the coins look the same, the leprechaun's coins. Yeah. Um, but the leprechaun does not look like the leprechaun that we think of. Because what won't work Davis anymore. Well, yeah, but they they completely redesigned it. In fact, they said it looked like it was more based on, like, the mole people. Oh. So, the cast, the cast was okay. Uh, but the script was just, it didn't work. Yeah. It, it it seemed like they did what Hollywood's done before, where they had a script that they didn't know what to do with. They were like, we kind of like the story, but it's not going to be successful on its own. So let's find a way to shoehorn it into another franchise. And I think that might be what they tried to do. But it was just... I gave this thing a half a star. Really? Yeah. <laughs> not even a full one. 
ironically, if they had just named it something else and not tied it to the Leprechaun films in any way, it probably would have been better. Yeah. But going in with that as your expectation. And it's not even an origin story. It takes place, so it was made in, in 2014. It takes place in present day. So it's like if you're telling an origin of a leprechaun, which is an ancient creature, right? you should tell it anyway. <laughs> it it just wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. Um, I think her name is, I should look that up, Melissa Roxburgh, I think. Let me double check here. Yeah, she's known probably best for, I know her as being on the show Manifest. I've heard of that one. Um, about the plane crash. Uh, but it looks like she was also in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Star Trek Beyond, Marine 4. She was the most notable name that I saw in the, in the movie. Right. Uh, just a very weird film. WWE Films were the main producers on it. Uh, of course, the Dylan Postel, I think is how you say his last name, who played Hornswoggle on WWE TV, mm-hmm. was the leprechaun in this, which made it even more confusing because they had him dressed as a traditional leprechaun on their programs. But then he's hidden behind all this makeup and looks nothing like that. Yeah, it's, that's different. A lot of a lot of creative, uh, weird decisions on that one. Yeah, so half a star. Yeah. Um, oh God, that was painful. I'm never <laughs> watching that again. Uh, never, never. Uh, but on to our review for the week. Uh, we watched the other guys, which came out in 2010. So we'll definitely be talking spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, this is your first time watching it. Th- this was a first time watch for me because I've said before, Will Ferrell's hit or miss with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the basic plot of this is uh, you you start out seeing this superstar cop team of <laughs> Sam Jackson and Dwayne Johnson. Were you expecting that at all? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. It's, it's um, one of the most quotable movie quotes in it. It's, you ready for this? Aim for the bushes. Yeah. And there's no bushes. No bushes. <laughs> no bushes at all. Is there, is there, uh, so these guys had stolen some diamonds and they zip line away and then they cut the zip line. So they're going to try and chase after them. And uh, they jump, and you're expecting, as more of the ground comes into focus, that you're going to see some bushes or trees. or It's just pavement. Yep. So they just <laughs> splat. Um, the whole premise of the film is Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell are partners, and they are the other guys. They're just the nondescript. Yep. Not not very good at their job. Your never really given a chance. Background yeah. characters, rather. <laughs> and the film is basically them trying to crack this case that will make them uh, 
more highly thought of in the detective ranks. Um, I gave this two and a half mm. on Letterboxd. I, I just, to me, the, the winners of the film, other than the rock um, Sam Jackson stuff at the beginning, because that's over in like, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. Michael Keaton and Mark Wahlberg are really good in this. The Michael love... Keaton was so funny. <laughs> and and the thing about if you've seen his early stuff, uh, like The Night Shift and Mr. Mom and stuff like that, he's those little head tilts and mm-hmm. those ticks that he kind of has with his the way he delivers his lines. It brings you back to that. Yeah, he's he's just he's really fun to watch. Um, his his Bed Bath and Beyond scene was some of the yeah. funniest stuff. He was just talking about the sales that were going on, and then he and goes then, re- immediately into the the raping that's happening in Lower Heights or whatever. He said, wait, yeah. that's my other job. He goes, but for real, though, if you guys are around there, travel, uh, don't travel alone and be careful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, man. So, in, in the film, they end up cracking this case, um, saving the policeman's pension fund. Because there was something wrong with the scaffolding permits that yeah. Will Ferrell's that's, that's character what, finds out. I'm just like, That's what okay. got the whole thing started. <laughs> So, there's two scenes in this film that kind of, I guess, typify why I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan. One is the good cop, bad cop scene. Mm-hmm. Where he just loses his shit for whatever reason. <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And the other is the big boy pants scene in the police station. Yeah. He's just, it. I don't typically like over the top silly comedy mm-hmm. I guess um, and he kind of came out of that era like Chris Farley did it really really well right and then everybody else that was kind of in that same time frame started doing it and some of them do it better than others so for me that's that, that's just this is I don't know. This is one of those classic Will Ferrell uh movies though. Yeah. Like it's it's one of those very classic ones. Like Elf, I think because of the the Christmas theme and everything, I can I can watch that. I like when he makes cameos or small supporting parts like in Grandma's Boy. Mm. Um It's just tough for me sometimes depending on the material. If he's carrying a film. Right. So, uh, but I, I loved the, I loved the performances by Wahlberg and, and Keaton. And I did like the little bit where they had, um, he keeps referring to his wife as plain. Plain and simple. <laughs> a- a- Ava Mendez plays his wife. And uh, Natalie Zia. Uh-huh. plays his ex-girlfriend <laughs> and then everywhere they go attractive women are well, like coming on to him mm-hmm. and everything and Mark Wahlberg's looking at him like what is going on? He's like dude how do you do that? <laughs> like yeah like I that was fun and I liked some of the other stuff that they did the, the tuna bit at mm-hmm. the very beginning 
The knife is very stupid, don't you, huh? <laughs> that didn't go the way you wanted to. <laughs> it's just the over-the-top stuff that gets me yeah, with him. That was one of my, he... my biggest parts. Like, I gave this one a, a three and a half star. This is like the second or third time at most that I've seen this movie. And I laughed a lot. I just I love stupid humor. I really do. And it's just how I've always been with these movies. But in this film, a lot of the jokes just went on way too long. And they mm-hmm. kept talking about it. Like, the one scene's, like, way too long. And I was like, okay, all right, let's, let's wrap this up. But the whole, uh, the grandma scene where she was going between um, uh, Will Ferrell's wife and him, I was like, all right, we could have done been done with this, like, two two trips ago. I get what you're trying to do here, but uh, yeah. but a lot of it is just so funny to me. And it's so very quotable. The first half of the movie is my favorite. The last half, it eh, kind of falls apart for me. Like, when... But when Michael Keaton comes in to make the final arrest and everything before they get killed, and he's in his Bed Bath & Beyond uniform, and I was like, dude, it's so stupid. And he goes, okay, we'll do your paperwork when we get back. And I was like, okay, nice little nod to the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, but the, when Mark Wahlberg at the end gets married, and he asked uh, Will Ferrell's wife to, to be his best man, He's like, okay, dude, this is creepy. We've got to stop doing this. It's just so funny. It's just that, that kind of jokes, like how you kind of call it back to it. But, yeah, that's probably my favorite part is is the um, – I forget. What's his name in the the meat people oh, – the the hobos? I wish I could find it because, like, they call it um, – Where they want to use the Prius. Yes. That's just Dirty dirty Mike and the boys. They said, yeah. are you Dirty Mike? And I was like, are those the boys? He goes, yeah, I'm Dirty Mike. Who's asking? And like they go, oh, they're cops, right? It's just stupid stuff like that. It just made me chuckle so much because yeah. like they talked about what was all done in the Prius. There's no fingerprints, though. Yeah, no fingerprints, but there is a rat and a used condom back there. I was like, what? So random. But like, there's so many stars in this film, like a lot of stars. Like uh, Rob Riggle, I love. Damon Wayans Jr., I love. Obviously Michael Keaton and everybody. But it was just just a dumb fun palate cleanser of a movie, I guess. Yeah, it. Um, we've seen this too with some other films that we've we've covered, like uh, Hubie Halloween. We I think we made the comment too. Some of the stuff just kind of dragged out. Yeah. Like they tried to get everything out of the joke, and then after they got everything out of it, then they kept doing it for yeah. a couple of more minutes. And it's like, stop. So I wonder That's, if those are all like, especially in this film where Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg both do improv a lot. I wonder if it was all improv and they just decided just to keep it all in. Just run it all in. So, not, not my big I mean, So No, I mean, but that goes back to the director. When you're editing the film, you have to know where to cut. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he just, yeah. So, two and a half for me. You said you gave it, what, three, three and a half? Uh, three and a half. Um, next week we're going further back in the Wayback Machine. Shout out to uh, Specter Peabody or uh, <laughs> Mister Peabody, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to the Untouchables. Yes. This is 1987, I think. Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, um, Billy Drago, Andy Garcia, Robert De Niro. Really good cast. Yeah. I'm excited about this one. I've never seen it. I th- I think you'll I think you'll like it. It's got one of the iconic 
movie scenes in it. So, mm. on to news. Uh, Variety.com. This comes from Ethan Shanfeld. Sharon Stone joins DC's Blue Beetle as villain Victoria Cord. Um, she's been tapped to play villain Victoria Cord in DC's upcoming Blue Beetle, its first superhero movie starring a Latino character. Victoria Cord's a new character created for the film, which will premiere in theaters August the 18th, 2023. We so we've see. got. We, we will see. A little over a year and a half. Yeah. Well, we'll see. DC, Maybe two no years. Movies. You know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> they could just take this and turn it into a TV series on HBO Max. I'd be okay with it. Just go ahead and let James yeah. Gunn have it. I'm very Roll curious Max. because it's a brand new character created for the film. So, yeah. I mean, you got a whole template to work with. You have several templates to work with. But Yeah, I mean, it kind of <laughs> makes you wonder why... I mean, anytime you have one of these comic book titles, you you get the character and you get the villains associated mm-hmm. with the character. Why are you, especially at launch, launching what you hope will be a franchise? Yep. Why are you creating characters? It's the DCEU effect. <laughs> it does mention that Raul Max Trujillo from Mayans MC also joins Blue Beetle. Carapax, the indestructible man. Mm. Um, so, yeah. That's all the movie news. Be interesting. Yeah. Well, all the movie news that pertains to us, you know, the whole Will Smith at the Oscars really kind of took over the the news yeah. beat this week. Do you, do you want to talk about that briefly? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can. Um, that happened a little after we recorded last week's episode. That's always the case. Yeah, isn't that fun how that happens? And I mean, I feel like it's being a little blown out of proportion at this point. I understand the night of, the day after, and maybe the next yeah. day. But they are, it, it confuses me because a lot of people, which, you know, we live here in the South, a lot of people on Facebook are saying he needs to be arrested for assault and it's the worst thing that anything's ever been done. And I'm like, he, so, he just slapped the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, you've so, never slapped anybody in your life? <laughs> the police obviously were on scene because they're always on scene yeah. for events like that. Chris Rock declined to press charges. Right. He didn't want him removed from the telecast. The Academy was going to remove him. Right. They asked him to leave. He refused. Well, that's that's alleged reports because from the other patrons that were around him, nobody ever mm-hmm. asked him to leave. Is what's being reported. So I don't know. It's one of those things, you know, which one do you believe? Um, but I know that, like, Tyler Perry, um, Bradley Cooper, Denzel. Denzel all talked with Will during the commercial break. His publicist even came up and talked to him during the commercial break. His publicist was probably like, what the yeah. hell? Yeah. Yeah. I need to be getting paid more for this because this is going to be yeah. a complete shit show. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's – we're getting to the point now, the reports of the movies that are in production right now with Will Smith are being put on pause because of all this. So, I wonder if some of that's tied to the Academy. Mm. He resigned from the Academy. Right. Which I still which think was a little – I think I think the main thing that it 
that it does cost him is he won't get the screeners right. and he won't get to vote. So, I mean, if if he was willing to give that up, yeah, Wait, whatever. We'll, we'll take him. Um, instead of my the, <laughs> the Academy, on the other hand, has indicated that they accept the resignation, but they are still going to continue determining what, if any, other actions they're going to take. Most people I've read have said they don't think he'll lose his Oscar, which right. they which potentially I don't think could should. take from him. But. They're saying they don't think he'll lose it. They have said that he could be banned from ever attending any future award shows. Mm-hmm. He could be... Um, he could potentially be barred from nomination in the future, mm. which would certainly hit his pocket because right. if you have that on your resume that you've won X number of awards, your price that you mm-hmm. get paid goes up. So we'll see. Um, I think I kind of I see both sides of it. I know that there are people out there. Well, he was standing up for his wife. Yeah. But I also see the comedians' side of it, right. where you, a lot of comedians, unless they obviously do not like you, like a lot of comedians were cutting jokes on Donald Trump mm-hmm. because they didn't like him. But otherwise, if they put you in their act, it's it's a sign of respect. It's yeah, mm-hmm. I'm taking the time to mention you in my material. Right. Um. I don't know. I. I see both sides. Yeah. So that's how I, that's how we've been, uh, Jamie and I, all week. We're like, I mean, I get both sides of it, and I've seen the reports that production's being paused for the movies that he's working on, filming, and things like right now. And that could be him because he's yeah, probably producing some point. of that stuff. I didn't even think so. About he that. might he might be thinking, let's let some of this blow over, and that makes sense. But it's it's a very sticky situation, obviously, and like. Chris Rock's not even, he didn't really care. I mean, he went next couple of nights and did a comedy set. Yeah. And I think what, I think what made it look worse where Will Smith was concerned was the joke was told. There's video footage of him chuckling at, mm-hmm. at the joke and watching. And then when he sees that Jada didn't like it, yeah, then he's like, oh, and he just gets up and walks up there. Yeah. And was it the right way to handle it? No. I could, no. him, what he, he said gone afterwards, I think would have been a little bit more appropriate. I don't think we'd be yeah. having this conversation still if, if we heard him it yelling. Was a shouting match. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we would have heard the conversation. It's the fact that he got up and hit him is why. I think even if, upset. even if he'd walked up, gotten right in his face, grabbed his jacket and said what he said from his seat. Yeah. I think it's a different yeah. thing. I don't think it helped either that apparently when he was walking away, he had a smirk on his face. Mm. I haven't looked at it that close. I haven't either. Pe- people have said that after he slapped him as he was walking away, he kind of grinned. Mm. And it's like, well, you had to know that this wasn't going to go over well. Right. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, it could be, you know, the Oscars uh, viewership has been going down every year. I wonder if this is employed by the Academy. That's what people are thinking. I, I, it can, I mean, we live in a world where that's a thing. I mean, look how much publicity the Oscars has now. So. I mean, is Vince McMahon producing the Oscars now? Right. <laughs> but 
he resigns from the academy. We'll never know if that's actually true. Right. I mean, even the we're people not, close to him won't even know that, you know? We're, we're not going to know if he's still getting the screeners or if mm-hmm. he's still voting. We won't know that. So, I mean, it could be this is all a smoke screen just yeah. to drive up viewership. Which I would not put it past America or, or oh, anything like not that. Not at all. That's how you get money. Not at all. So. Absolutely. All right. Releases this week in film world. A film that might not win any Oscars. But maybe anim- could be maybe, uh, Jim maybe Carrey's animation. last film, though. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, debuting the week of 4-4 to 4-10 on April the 8th. Which will be the forty eighth anniversary of Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Just saying. <laughs> Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog two will hit screens in US cinemas. I'm hoping to see that this weekend. We'll see if I do or not, but I'm hoping to. You know, I just remembered you mentioned this could be Jim Carrey's last film. He really came out mm-hmm. and had some statements about what went on. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was not happy about it. No, no. So, no, but he so. the report and interview happened on Friday, which was April Fool's Day, and he said this will be my last film. He says he's retiring from acting. Jim Carrey, I, I could see doing April Fool's joke, but apparently people closest to him were saying, no, no, he's 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 serious about this. And they said he might come back for a Sonic the Hedgehog three because he loves this project so much. But they said he's probably going to retire from acting. I said, okay. It's also something that benefits him if he says that, and then they do want to make a part three, and they yeah. do want him back. He's like, "Well, you got to lure me out of retirement, right?" So I'm going to have to more of that money. Yeah. So, Although we'll I'm sure happens. he's, I'm sure he's taking good care of his money. Yeah. He's he knows what he's doing. Jim Carrey's yeah. a, seems to be a smart guy, if you ask me. Yeah. On, on to games. On to video games, Chris. You been playing the MLB show? I have, yeah. Ooh, I mean, it tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. It doesn't officially drop till this week, right? Um, but I got the early, early play period for pre-order. It plays, it plays well. Awesome. Uh, I like a lot of the the changes that they've made. The one thing I'll say, and this is in general to Sony, to EA, uh, probably 2K as well. I don't really play their sports titles. These companies, every time they launch a new game that has an, these online modes, they have server issues. Every single time. And every year they act like they're surprised. Oh, we weren't expecting this. Right. We'll do server maintenance. So the first two, three days at 4, 4 a.m. Pacific, they had to do server maintenance. Um it's convenient. The first day or two, a lot of people kept getting, like, you'd, you'd play for an hour or so, and then you would get an unhandled server exception. So you'd have to, it was fixable, like, you would just close the app and then go back in, and you could play for a while longer. Right. But it kept doing it. And in some of these modes, like, they've introduced many seasons in Diamond Dynasty. So instead of playing head-to-head against another human, you play against the CPU for some pretty good rewards. 
but if you disconnect from the servers while you're in the game, it counts as a loss. Oh, which so, it's all their server issues. Yeah, so yeah. so people were getting upset about that, saying, "Hey, I've won like three games in many seasons, but I've gotten L's on all of them because when I exit out, the awesome. uh, server issue occurred." So, but it does seem like I played a good chunk of the night last night and didn't have any issues. So okay. it seems like they've they've sorted it out. Sounds um, like we're beta testing it for everyone else who's gonna start playing it this week. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, not getting paid for it either. But. Right. No, it's just love when that happens. You actually um, paid them to, to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I would definitely recommend it for people. Um, I still say it's better than EA's. If you're playing this sort of mode, it's better than Ultimate Team. Okay. Because everything you do in the game earns you XP, and that XP applies toward Diamond Dynasty. Um. Also, if you do partake of microtransactions, you're buying stubs in this game, mm-hmm. which is what you can use to buy whatever cards you need. Um, in Ultimate Team, if you take part in microtransactions, you're buying points, which only get you packs, which may or may not get you what you need. Hmm. So at least in this, you could drop however, many, however much money on however many stubs, and buy the exact cards you're looking for. Oh, that's you that's know, helpful. Then. Yeah, you feel less like you're getting robbed. Yeah. When you. Yeah, I, I don't want to be robbed. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not fun. I I have been playing or replaying Immortal Phoenix Rising. Um, it came around the same time as Valhalla for me, playing it, and mm-hmm. it's the same exact controls, and a little bit more comical, animated kind of stuff, but. I kind of jumped back into it a little bit, along with Destiny and things like that. But other than like that, that's all I play. I played a little bit of Kirby today. But, what's but your uh, crazy? What's your next title? The big one that you're waiting on? Uh, actually, it comes out this week. It's probably my next game that I'm gonna sink a lot of time into, and it's Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga. Like it's all nine movies put into one game with uh, updated huh. graphics and remasters and stuff like that. I don't know if it's the biggest thing I'm looking forward to. It's probably going to be the next big game that I'll play. Um, I'm trying to see. I think this is it, though, for a, a hot minute for me. I'm scrolling through what's coming out, and there's nothing in April that I really care about. Nothing in May so far. Um, let's see. No, nothing in May. June, I don't have anything. Um, really, not a whole lot until things start getting announced. Nothing. So you're basically waiting on any new uh, DLC. Yeah, I'm just kind of waiting for new stuff. Like October looks like will be because October is always the big month. Forspoken for PlayStation Five, and then Gotham mm-hmm. Knights comes out that month in theory. Ooh. Um, Starfield in November. Well, probably actually Starfield will probably be my next big, 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 big game. So, is it uh, is it this year or next that we're supposed to be getting the Wolverine game? Oh, they haven't even announced it. I would, if I had to guess, it'd be next late year. next year. The end of next year. If I had to guess, that depends on how long Insomniac's been working on it. I'm sure we'll get yeah. more towards the end of the year on it because they've already teased it, and usually with their teases, 
they're like, okay, we're we're ramping up and getting close to being done. We got uh, God of War Ragnarok supposed to come out at the end of this year. Um, they delayed Breath of the Wild two until spring of next year. Nintendo did, which everybody saw coming. But so yeah, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me. I mean, the rest of the year is pretty smooth sailing until unless something gets shadow dropped or announced, and like we're supposed to potentially getting the new Forza uh, Jedi Fallen Order game this year it's highly been talked about because it's been several years since we had the first one and a lot of people it's been rumored that during the may the 4th celebration it's going to be announced and then dropped later this year so which i am very hopeful for because i loved that game so into the news this week only got two different uh, news stories here the first one is our april playstation plus games have been announced playstation 5 hood outlaws um hood outlaws and legends PlayStation 4, you get SpongeBob, SquarePants, Battle for Bikini Bottom, Rehydrated, and Slay the Spire. Uh, not the biggest. Hood Outlaws was a terrible game. And I'm glad I didn't buy it. But other than that, a SpongeBob would be fun. I remember playing the, the original game on GameCube back when I was, I think, in middle school. So, and this, it got, that game came out last year, late last year. And I was like, eh, okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not having enough interest to buy it. But now it's free. I'll play it. Yeah. And then the next news story, E3 reveals there will be no show this year. Going to Variety.com by Todd Spengler. E3, which has historically been the game's biggest industry conference, is not happening at all this year. The Entertainment and Software Association and the trade group that produces E3 confirmed that 2022's event's cancellation and said it was focusing on making sure, quote, the revitalized showcase sets a new standard hybrid industry events and fan engagement. The group on Thursday had previously notified partners that E3 would not be held this year at a virtu- as a virtual e- well, yeah not be held as a virtual event after dropping plans to return to the show in person to LA because of the ongoing pandemic. Quote E3 will return in 2023 with a reinvigorated showcase that celebrates new and exciting video games industry innovations. An ESA rep said in a statement. We previously announced that E3 would not be held in person in 2022 due to ongoing health risks running COVID-19. Today, we're announcing there will be no digital E3 showcase in 2022. I can't say I'm not surprised. Um, no. A lot of people in the games industry and journalists and everything have been talking about that the E3 has been dying. Last year, mm-hmm. we had all digital, which I thought went fairly well. Um but apparently they lost a lot of money off of that. And mm-hmm. so we were everyone was like, okay, it's going to be back this year. It's going to be in person. Uh, I think in February they said it's going to be digital. Everyone said, okay, yeah, we're still getting it. And then this Thursday they said we're canceling it altogether. And I'm like, oh, so, okay. So we talked about this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wondered if E3 was on the way out because – now all these developers know that they can do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And don't they have don't to pay have for to, it. <laughs> they don't have to pay for it. They don't have to show up in person and, right. and the travel expense and everything. They can do it all from their headquarters, release it online. And they can all still do it in that same time frame. Yep. All in June. So I don't think we're ever going to see E3 again. If we do, it'll be in name only. Right. And it'll be maybe, I'll be honest, if I'm, if I'm G4, 
since they're still mm-hmm. trying to get themselves oh, up and going. Oh, they're back. I I buy the E3 name, mm. and I and I brand my video game special that every year. That previews, you know, basically does the same thing. Right. Only you have one place that you can go to watch it all in one shot. Well, so, but, something like that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Jeff Keeley, which who's been doing this you know, for longer than I've been alive, he has his own Summerfest thing that mm-hmm. got so much more recognition this past year because it, it premiered some great things bigger than E3 did. And it's petty because since he started doing, taking over, making his own kind of showcases around the same time, ESA blocked him from coming to E3s. And he says, I've been going to E3s for 25 years straight. And he's a big you know, journalist and things like that. And now yeah. he's got his own shows that do so much. He's the one that does the Video Game Awards in December. Right. Uh, he does Open Night Live in Germany. And now he does um, the Summerfest and all these other things. And it's so funny because he got so petty with it. Because obviously there was a lot of bad blood between the ESA and him. So when the news broke, he put a winky face emoji and tweeted that's all he tweeted out i was like okay we all know what that's about jeff and then not even an hour after that news broke he broke the schedule for Summerfest, <laughs> and he said like all your biggest name titles and things are going to be here and but yeah we talked about it last year and it's still the same thing i think this is it i don't think e3 is going to come back i honestly don't and yeah. especially not anywhere close to what we know it as i think right now they're using the pandemic as a front um, using it as the reason they're not doing it, but like even the previous years, it was dying. I mean, PlayStation, I think, saw it and knew it. I mean, they were the ones that haven't been to the past two or three E3s now, even before the pandemic. Yeah, I think 2019 was their first one, and they said, "Yeah, we're not going to do it. We'll just do our own stuff." And Xbox did it because they loved the atmosphere of it. And it's just how it always been done, and it's good publicity for them. But you can do your own show. And your own showcase, and yeah, so save yourself a lot of money. So yeah, crazy. It's uh, the end of an era. Yeah, and that's that's the thing too. Like as, as someone who's always wanted to be in video game journalism and follow the industry so much, that's end goal is to go for to E three for the first time because it used to be it was only just for journalists and developers and things like that. Like it wasn't open to the public. The past couple of years, they opened it up to the public before um, the pandemic. And so it's always been a dream. But now mm-hmm. I'm just like, it sucks. I mean, I get it, but, you know. It, it, make, it, it makes you wonder how other things are going to survive. I think Comic-Con will be fine because yeah. it's such a broad range of properties that they, that they promote. Plus, you have the trade floor where comics and collectibles and all that get one day chris swapped we got to go one day san diego's beautiful from what i hear yeah very, very expensive too yeah <laughs> oh, well um noble new releases this week um like, like i said earlier lego star wars the skywalker saga comes out on everything including the switch april 5th which is tuesday um and that's the show we had a pretty good show this week so moon Knight. Oh, can't wait to watch the next one so guys Thank you all so much for listening and watching the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the NerdWide Podcast. Don't forget to share on all your favorite social media platforms, and don't forget to rate and review us on whatever podcasting service you use. 
social media, you can follow the NerdWide account on Twitter at nerd underscore wide. You can follow me at Ty underscore Haynes. You can follow Chris at MathTN7. If you're on the Facebook side of things, just search nerdwide.com. Follow us on that page there, and that is us. As always, this has been this week's episode of the podcast, and we cannot wait to watch our shows with you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Later, guys. <laughs>